Hey everyone, this is producer Jess for the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. On today's show, we're going to open up the audio vault and re-air a classic interview that Rachel conducted with baseball legend Daryl Strawberry. Rachel first conducted this interview back in September of 2021 in Orlando, Florida. We are excited about bringing you this powerful episode once again. We have titled this show, Daryl Strawberry, Making Greatness, the origin of one of baseball's greatest athletes. Here now is part one of the conversation between Rachel Flick and Daryl Strawberry. Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, She's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Today I get to bring you a previously recorded episode with one of sports' greatest athletes, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl's a former American professional baseball right fielder who played in Major League Baseball for over 17 seasons. He helped lead the New York Mets to a World Series championship in 1986 and the New York Yankees to three World Series championships in 96, 98, and 99. Side by side with his incredible athleticism were multiple suspensions due to his use of drugs and prostitutes. In his story, Daryl talks about the transforming love of Christ, and he and I dig in to his story of kind of his origin story and how he became the athlete that he is today and the parts that his mother and his wife played in stepping him forward into a life of healing and wholeness past the drugs and the addiction. After you listen to this episode of the Hopecast, I highly recommend you check out the new documentary that Daryl released called Once Upon a Time in Queens. It's a 30 for 30 episode on ESPN+. It's about how he helped lead the New York Mets to the World Series in 86. And it's such an interesting story looking in on all the characters that helped make that championship possible. Here now is part one of my interview with Daryl Strawberry. Hey, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me today on the Hopecast. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate you taking your time out to have me on your Hopecast. Absolutely. It's an honor. It's an honor. I told some friends that I got to talk to you today, so we're going to have to grab a picture afterwards. (laughs) Well, that'd be great. I have no problem with that. That would be awesome. So you have your your, um, story precedes you. You're one of those um, legends in the sporting world, and your story has captivated many, many people. Well, I think everybody has a story mm-hmm. in, in life, and we all go through something. I, I think for me, uh, it was just the public uh, opinion about who I was because I was an athlete and I played at such a high level. And, of course, I played in New York City. So mm-hmm. um, the spotlights is always on you when you're playing in a big city. So I had to get accustomed to that and get used to uh, uh, being who I was and was it uncomfortable a lot of times yeah but yeah. I, I think the challenges of it was real yeah I, I think because you can play sports or you can do anything and you could achieve anything if you have the desire but the key is are you well on the inside mm. and, and I think a lot of times people 
don't recognize that. Yeah. They just think because you put a uniform on and you make millions of dollars and you live behind community gates, uh, you should be well. And what they fail to realize is money does not make you well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a deep, uh, empty hole that's on the inside of all of us at some point in time in our life and do we allow God to heal us. And so I was in a process where I wasn't healed and I was just living. And I was living in a a dark tunnel for many years. I was very successful. Um, I had the strength to be able to play ball, but I didn't have the the courage to live according to what my mother wanted me to live. Yeah. So you alluded to that, right? You had... The money, the fame, the women, the traveling, you know, all of those things. I would love it if you would take us back and tell us what it was like for you growing up. What was your home like? What was your neighborhood like? Well, my home life was very dysfunction. Uh, My dad was a raging alcoholic and um, he didn't have a great personality. Um, He was very abusive and, Mm. you know, he came home all the time you know, drunk and loud and and just crazy. And, you know, for the last time, I think when I was about 13, 14 years old, um, we came home and one of those nights and we just had it. We woke up and my older brother, Mike, just said, why don't you get out here and leave us alone? He pulls out a shotgun and says, he's going to kill the whole family. So my (sighs) mother, she goes into action and she looks at us and she gives us this look on her face like get out of the house, you know, right. because my brother Ronnie had went, went in the kitchen and grabbed a butcher knife, and I went in the kitchen and grabbed a frying pan. So we were about to go to work, and and he oh, pulled out a shotgun. Yeah, he pulled out a shotgun, but we didn't know my mother had taken the shells out of the shotgun beforehand, and, but we didn't know Smart at that woman. particular time. Mm. So we were we were going into a safety uh, mode Fight place, or flight. you know, absolutely yeah, to, to be able to protect our life mother. or death. Yes. To be able to protect our mother and protect ourselves, you know, because we've seen this so many times. And and that was the end of it there. You know, we got out of the house. She got us out. And she was, you know, really happy the fact that she got us out because she saw in our eyes that we were very serious that night and we wasn't playing anymore. And so she left your dad at that point? She did. She asked him to move out of the house. And we came back the next day and he never returned again. That was the end of Mm. Uh, that and she went on to file for a divorce and we realized that he was never going to be around again so Mm. that was a really happy moment for us as as kids can only imagine the relief yeah it was a big one um when you think about it i think a lot of times people don't recognize what people go through Mm. they just assume that you know we should have it all together because we look like we have it all together and in reality a lot of homes don't and it's no. so unfortunate that, you know, that has to happen in our society. And kids pay the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point in time, they're going to pay the price from a broken home. Yeah. And I think our society don't realize that and recognize that. So, you know, I was no different than anybody else growing up. Um, I grew up in South Central L.A. and... Uh, went to Crenshaw High and, and I played sports and, and I achieved a lot of great things. Uh, but at the same time, uh, those periods of, of my early early days of growing up was real struggles. You know, mm. I got into a lot of trouble. You know, I got kicked out of like four different junior high schools, and mm. they just kind of said, "Let's move him on to high school because he's just terrible here." You know, he's in he's taking money, he's doing 
all kind of things, you know, setting Moving bathrooms along. on fire, you know. Yeah. I was in the midst of smoking marijuana at the age of 14, and so I was already started down the wrong road. Yeah. So um, did you witness domestic violence between your parents? I witnessed uh, my father being, you know, very, very abusive, you know. It, I don't really ever, ever had a chance to see him put his hands on our mother because we would have killed him. Mm. If we'd have saw that, really protective yeah, of mom. Yeah, we were. There was no doubt about it. We, if we just had saw anything like that, it, it probably would have been over. And thank God we didn't, because I know me and my brothers in the way we were thinking. Yeah, uh, we wasn't planned. We were young, but we were very serious about our mom. We loved our, our mom, yeah. and and she raised five of us, and we knew that she was the she was the key to us being. And anything mm. successful in life it, w- it was gonna because of her and because of the kind of woman she was mm. you talk about some of those um acting out behaviors which makes complete sense right in that home environment and the violence and the fear um what were some of the other ways that you were coping with that stress were you dreaming did you would you come home you know what i mean like some kids just won't come home right they're gonna play you know until the street lights come on like what did that look like for you to get through those years i wouldn't come home when he was at home a lot mm-hmm. of times i wait till he'd go to work he'd go to work in the afternoon so i just kind of hang out around the neighborhood and you know drink and smoke weed mm-hmm. and just to escape yeah um you know my other brother he got into a lot of trouble he got into a lot of bad behavior he got into breaking in homes and stealing people's stuff, getting guns. And I just never went down that road. I never went down the road of picking up guns and stuff like that because I, I just felt like I, I would have ended up hurting somebody. Mm-hmm. And that could have been the end, end of my life. So I started to dream, you know, once he was out of the house, I started to dream big. I started mm-hmm. to entertain myself in sports and liking sports and watching sports and watching baseball and television and, and, I could see from the television that's who I was going to be, hmm. and I, I just saw myself um, doing that. And people yeah. like think, "Well, how could you do that? How could you actually do that?" It's it's like when you're in pain, you can believe in something far greater than you can ever imagine, hmm. and that's what it was for me. Yeah. The pain was there, and and I had to believe in something far greater yeah. than myself because my father rejected me, and he said I would never be anything. Hmm. So it was a disbelief system there you know, between me and him. So I had to prove him wrong that I was going to be someone. So once I started watching baseball on television, I just started telling myself I'm going to play baseball and I'm going to play in the major leagues. I was 14 years old. So you never played before 14? No. Wow. Yeah, because of the dysfunction of the home. My father was never available to put me in Little League or come Mm -hmm. watch me play or anything like that. So I just kind of like just looked at it from a distance and, and realized that, you know, hey, this looks fun, you know, and, and I'm going to try it. And I tried every sport, and I was good at all sports. Because so look, sports, was, sports was really like the outlet mm-hmm. for who I was, you know, because of the pain. Yeah. Um, so I had to really stuff the pain mm-hmm. and get involved in playing sports to, you know, to get away from the thoughts of, you know, the household, what it was like, and he was no longer there. So once he was out of the house, I became so free inside of myself. Hmm. And when I say free, I, I said to myself, no one will ever control me like that ever again. That's a powerful vow. 
That is a powerful powerful vow right there. No one will ever control me like that again. No one. And I clearly lived it out in my whole life that no one would ever control me. No one would dominate me like that again. Even when I was playing sports and coaches and, you know, they got in my face. And when they got in my face, it was the wrong thing to do because I would just just disappear. You know, like I'm done. You know, because yeah, I won't be controlled. I won't be controlled anymore. I didn't want to be controlled like that. I I had to go through that for so long in in the household and and Mm -hmm. running that type of fear. I just didn't want to be that person anymore. Yeah. So your dad said that you would never amount to anything. Was sports an outlet to give you a different message of affirmation? I think sports was very challenging, and I like that. Mm -hmm. You know because. I didn't have a father figure in my life mm-hmm. to challenge me to try to achieve something. Right. So I really had to do it on my own. Mm. It, it was a driving force that came from within inside of myself that I was going to challenge myself. And like I said before, I, I realized playing in the neighborhood, playing sports, pickup ball and different things. And I realized that, hey, I'm pretty good, you know, but what would it be like once I joined a team? And I, had, I hadn't joined a team until I you know, I was after 14 years old and I joined the team and started playing uh, low league baseball and then I became pretty good at it. You know, I was I was like a force, you know, because I had this vision inside of myself that I'm going to dominate because of what happened to me. It's almost uh, like th- as a reaction to what he had said, you were going to prove him wrong. I, it was a reaction. I, and I think either you're going to prove him wrong or he's going to win. It's going to mm-hmm. stay in your head. See, for my brother, Ronnie, it stayed in his head. Mm-hmm. And... He became self-destructive, you know, because of he couldn't get out of not being anything. And me, I took it the other way. Uh, my driving force was to uh, believe that I was going to be something, that I was going to achieve something, and I wasn't going to be like my father. Mm-hmm. So what did that start to do for your sense of self and identity as you discovered that you really had a natural affinity for this? It started to direct me in a, a direction of real hope. Mm. You know, more than you can ever imagine. Um, because when you look at your life and you come from this dysfunctional home and you take all these beatings, you know, you used to have to lay on the bed and take your shirt off and he would beat you with an extension cord thicker than this. Yeah. And you just had to lay there and take it and it, you felt like nothing. You felt like a piece of crap. And you felt like you couldn't defend yourself because he was so strong and you was young. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's gone and there was this great sense of hope for me you know this great sense of belief system started to come in me uh, that one day I'm gonna do something great and take care of my mother because my focus was not on me it was on my mother it was on her take care of her yeah it was on her being rejected her being um verbally abused talked to down or whatever he did from time to time pull on her or whatever um, but I just realized that I wanted her to have a better life. Uh, you know, and that was my driving force. That was the hope that came inside of me. Uh, I could have laid down and been like my brother Ronnie and gave up and quit. Mm. And he still today struggles because he doesn't know how to win. You know, and I learned from quitting when I quit in high school one day on the baseball team <laughs> my freshman year. The coach thumped me in the head when I was walking off the field and said, don't ever walk off this field. I took the uniform off and threw it in his face and quit. And I realized from there, 
that a little bit self-destructive you do yes <laughs> you do not ever quit no matter what it is no matter how hard it is no matter what the circumstances are you do not quit hmm. you you persevere you press through and you don't give up and no matter what comes against you and that was a great learning lesson for me to never quit in life because mm-hmm. life is going to bring you some situations and challenges that you're going to have to face and how to, how do you deal with them? If you quit, you never know that you can achieve the things that are in front of you. So that was a great learning lesson for me not to ever do that again. I love hearing about just your care and your love for your mom. Would you say that you're protective of people that you love? Yeah. Um, well, when you grow up in a home like that and you have a male figure in the home and, and he's not available and he's checked out, you become the male figure in the home. Mm. And me and my brothers became that. You know, um, and our focus was um, to be better. Uh, didn't understand why we had to go through what we had to go through, but we did. But how, how can I be better than that, what he was? You know, how can yeah. I, how can I be a father where one day I may be a father and I, I will never push my kids to the side? Even though I had struggles and issues, I never pushed my kids to the side. Mm. You know, I never saw them as a problem. You know, it was like we were such a problem. Yeah. You know, we were in the way. We were yeah. in the way for his busy time, fun time, drinking, women. We were in the way of his life. And that's very sad, you know, when you when you go through that as a kid. And you have to live through that and, and you see your mother on the other side and you see her as so loving and so caring and all she cares about is her kids living right, mm. treating others right uh, the way she did. And I think that watching that you know, really was able to take me a long ways in life of learning how to treat people because of what I saw with my mother. Do you think you would have had even half of your achievements if you had grown up in a safe home? I would have had half of them. I probably would have had the, <laughs> the whole truckload of it um, if yeah. I would have grew up in a, in, a, in a house with, you know, some discipline and some peace. You feel like you would have achieved even more. Oh, no question about it. Okay. You know, I, I, I even achieved a lot, you know, with, and I was broken. All those mm-hmm. years of playing right. sports and, and just being out on the field, high school, I was broken. Uh, Little League, I was broken. Uh, when I got into the professional sports, I was completely broken. Now I was broken even more because now money has come on top of it, mm. and money has started to play a big play in your life. You know something uh, that I wasn't overly crazy about. You know that wasn't my number one dream. My mm-hmm. number one dream was my mom. Mm. You know, and now all of a sudden you get this, and you become rich when you become rich and famous and live in that life. Um, nobody never tells you no. Hmm. And it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, when you yeah. become famous, that they buy, you get free food, you know, you go to restaurants. <laughs> you're you like, I have food. money, yeah. you know, I'm making me pay for it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I can pay for my dinner. And you go to the clothing store, they want to give you clothes. It was just the most craziest thing that i ever seen. I just, mm. I was thinking to myself, you know, there's so many people out there that are struggling that would need this, and you give it to people who have everything. I yeah. think, I was thinking our society, even back then, I was thinking our society is so backwards, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the way they treat, you know, one from a celebrity celebrity place and just a just an ordinary person. You treat them so different, you know. Mm-hmm. You treat this one like, you know, he's golden, 
you know, because he has a talent, but you will treat this other person this way. And I always saw that as not being fair. Hmm. That's really interesting. Did you have that perspective while it was happening? Or has that been something like in your recovery and healing process that you look back on and have perspective? Because that's, that's definitely a 30,000 foot view, right? <laughs> like you're coming out of poverty and violence and struggling. And now you're the golden child and you can do no wrong. Like, did you have that eye at that time? I did. I had it when I was young. You know, I had it mm. because I l- love the fact that I was able to achieve what I want to achieve, but I didn't let it have me. You know, what, and people say, well, how did you get lost? I got lost because I was broken. And, it sounds like you started yeah, lost. Yeah, it, it's, loss is real. You know, being mm-hmm. lost is real. You know, people don't understand. They, they think, you know, you can get all this other stuff and all it does, it co- covers up what's really wrong. Yeah. You know, and the problem was deep inside of me. It was bedded inside of me of didn't have a father. You know, and when a boy doesn't have a father in his life, it's, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think a lot, of, a lot of boys never like to talk about it, but it's an empty place you know, yeah. when you don't have that male figure in your life and you don't have that one sitting there to cheer you on to encourage you. And, you know, mom's working hard to take care of five kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so her, her, her daily life is busy up mm-hmm. every morning and down every day you know resting you know and because she's got to do it every day to take care of five kids so yeah um so we had to i mean i had to figure out you know what's important what's really important and what 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 was important was me not being important you know i everybody else made me important but i never made myself important Mm -hmm. everybody people can understand that because you can get caught up in making yourself more important than you think you are yeah and and it all just go completely to your head. And I think people used to see and say, well, he's the nicest guy. He, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Yeah, because, you know, I came from nothing. So all this didn't mean anything, you know, uh, accomplishing all the things I wanted to accomplish, I did. But I'm saying what came with it, that didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather give it away and then let other people uh, be happy. So that was that was my feeling about life, you know, when I was being successful. It's, it's just give it to other people, you know, and, you know, God's been good to me. I don't know why he was good to me. I was just thinking, you know, I used to always think about it when I was playing. I was like, God, why are you? I didn't even know him. And I said, why are you so good to me? You know, and, mm. you know, why not be good to some of these other people? Because I've seen so many other people hurting and, and needed, you know, needed things. So I would always be sure to make sure I took care of other people. Yeah. So one of the things that fathers impart to their children is identity. Right. And you didn't have that. No. And like not even did you not have it, but you had the opposite of it where your your heart and your character were being attacked. What were some of the beliefs that you carried as you started to get successful in baseball? What did you believe about yourself? Because those limiting beliefs, defeating beliefs, I'm confident those fed into like, you know, your story and the self-medication. Mm-hmm. Well, my belief system was to love people because mm. I didn't receive that from my dad. Yeah. But I received it from my mother. Did you feel worthy of love? Yes. I mean, you know, um, from my mother. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, she loved She loved all of us, mm. you know, which was incredible. She didn't have no favor. You know, it was just like she loved us all the same. Yeah. And her principles were so cool and so real, you know, mm. just the way she conducted herself and the way she treated other people. You know, she didn't. She didn't come to a place of treating people different because her son was very successful. 
You know, she didn't. She didn't see my success. She she wasn't concerned with that. She wasn't consumed with that. She was concerned that we would treat people right. Mm. And, you know, because I think she had saw us being treated wrong, mm. you know, from yeah. our father. And she realized that she didn't want us to grow up and be like that. She was more concerned that we 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 would grow up and we would have a great foundation and the right principles about life. Uh, and I saw that from my mother. I, I saw I saw her heart. I saw her love towards us. I saw her love towards other people, and it was just incredible. You know, mm-hmm. it was incredible to see a little bitty woman, petite woman, be so strong and so real. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that really was my driving force. That's what really kept me in that place wow. of having the right courage and and the right attitude. I uh, was I a little crazy, yeah, yeah, and but. It, but it always came back to me when I did stupid stuff. Yeah. I used to say to myself, boy, you know your mother didn't raise you like that. Yeah. And, and I know I, that was so true. So that really kept me in a humble place to not, you know, really lose sight of really what was really important in life. Yeah, I lost sight of a lot of other things and doing a lot of other things. But what was really important in life was the character that my mother uh, showed us and wanted us to live and I, I knew that you mm-hmm. know i knew that for sure and, she and i'm like grateful an for that woman yeah hey daryl we're coming up against the clock but there's so much more i want to talk to you about could we uh, extend this for a second part i would love to do that awesome okay we'll talk to you next week on the Hopecast with rachel flick all right thank you you've been listening to the Hopecast with rachel flick to find out more go to rachelflick.com While you are there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. To follow Rachel on social media, simply click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to those sites. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.